Hello and thank you for tuning in to the third season of the iStart PIA Relay podcast, brought to you by Dementia Researcher. iStart is a professional society and part of the Alzheimer's Association, representing scientists, physicians and other dementia professionals active in researching and understanding the causes and treatments of Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. In this five-part series, we've once again asked members of the iStart professional interest areas to take turns at interviewing their colleagues and being interviewed themselves, with the interviewee going on to be the interviewer of the next episode. We'll be releasing one of these podcasts each day in the build-up to the Alzheimer's Association International Conference to showcase the amazing work of the iStart PIAs. So this week, you're going to hear all about fluid biomarkers, atypical Alzheimer's disease, reserve, resilience and protective factors, immunity and neurodegeneration, and technology in dementia, with some amazing guests. Hello everyone, and thanks for joining us. I'm Charlotte Teunissen. I'm a professor in neurochemistry and I work at Amsterdam University Medical Centers. I chair the BBB PIA and BBB stands for Body Fluid Biomarkers. Today I'm delighted to be talking with Rick Ossekoppelen. Hi Rick, can I start by asking you to introduce yourself and tell us which PIA you are involved with? Hi Charlotte. Many thanks and great having this, this conversation with, with you today. Um, yeah, so my name is Rick Ossekoppelen. I also work at the Amsterdam University Medical Centers, uh, but then at the, at the Alzheimer's Center. I also have an affiliation at uh, the, the University of Lund, and I am currently the vice chair of the atypical Alzheimer's disease uh, professional inter- interest area. That's very interesting. Uh, perhaps you can start uh, with a little bit uh, discussion of your research. So what brought you to dementia research? Right. So often from, from dementia research, you, you hear about uh, personal situations. I, I actually, I, I don't have that. So there, there are not many dementia cases uh, in, my, in, my, in my family. Uh, I actually, for the first time, really encountered it during my, my studies. So I studied nurse psychology and I was testing uh, individuals suspected of having having Alzheimer's disease. Uh, and while doing all these, these tests, like assessing memory and language and, and facial-spatial uh, function and, and so on, I really realized what a, um, uh, what a diverse disease it is. So there was so much variability in uh, you know, the, 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 the way people progressed, sometimes very fast, sometimes very slow, the, the kind of symptoms people had. Some had very strong memory impairments, Others were more more impaired in, in their behavior or in, in language, etc. And that really got me got me fascinated. And especially when I found out that we actually know very little also about the, the neurobiology of, of, of Alzheimer's disease, um, and there is actually no no cure for it. So all that together, a very interesting clinical phenotype, lack of sufficient knowledge of disease mechanisms, uh, and, and lack of a cure made me uh, and still makes me uh, super motivated to to work on this topic. So what's your specialty most? Is it uh, neuropsychological testing or I thought you were also working on imaging? Yeah, that's actually what I'm, what I'm doing mostly nowadays. So I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to do is, is to understand disease progression in, in general and mainly through, through neuroimaging, um, but also more recently through, through biofluid markers, as you, as you know, uh, Charlotte. And uh, in that work, I... <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> And in in uh, in that work, I, I I focus on many things. So uh, one of them is is try 
trying to predict the, the, the rate of, of clinic, uh, clinical progression of, of individuals, uh, but also trying to understand why, why someone uh, manifests with, with memory impairment and other ones with, with non-amnestic um, uh, presentations. And also why some people with lots of pathology actually progress very slowly over time, whereas other ones only need a little bit of Alzheimer's pathology before they show quite severe uh, symptoms. So I'm very interested in why all these differences in disease progression occur and I studied that using uh, imaging and biofluid markers. And is your focus on um, mostly people who are diagnosed with dementia or also the earlier stages? Yeah, so I actually I focus on, on, on both stages, but I would say that my uh, my focus is, is, is a little bit different. So the, the heterogeneity of, of the disease in terms of, of the clinical uh, manifestation, I mainly study in, in the symptomatic stage. That's also when, when symptoms actually occur and it's, it's easier actually to also detect differences in, uh, in, in, in the way they, they, they present. Um, but I'm also very interested in uh, cognitively unimpaired individuals, um, for example, having amyloid and, and tau in the brain and wh what that means for, for progression. So the big question is, can we call this Alzheimer's disease or are they just at risk? This is, is a big debate in, uh, in the field at the moment. Yeah. Um, so that brings me to the next question, but, but maybe I know the answer because I saw a, uh, a LinkedIn post of you uh, yesterday. <laughs> um, but what are the hot topics in your field and especially in the, the PR related fields? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the, there I would, I would mainly focus on, on, on the atypical forms of, of Alzheimer's disease. So first, let me quickly define it. So we, with atypical Alzheimer's disease, we mainly refer to uh, to uh, clinical phenotypes of Alzheimer's disease that are that are non-amnestic. So, for example, individuals that have severe behavioral impairments, so they, they look a lot clinically like, for example, frontal temporal dementia, uh, but in fact they have Alzheimer's disease pathology. And uh, similar phenotypes that are driven by Alzheimer's disease pathology also exist where, for example, the, the, the visual-spatial problems are, are key, or people have uh, a lot of troubles in, in, in language, for example, uh, speech production or, or understanding of language. Uh, or or, or uh, this executive function where where they have uh, a lot of trouble, for example, planning or or uh, or uh, or uh, in 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 uh, in inhibition, for example. Um, so uh, so really understanding this the, these atypical uh, uh, phenotypes of Alzheimer's disease is is very important. So a hot topic is still to to timely uh, di diagnose them because th their diagnosis is often missed. Uh, if, if they present at a clinic, many times uh, the initial thought is about something else. Uh, and that causes often uh, like a delay of, of, of many years, right? Which causes uncertainty for, for the individuals and, and their surroundings, but also delays uh, like, like sufficient patient management. So really trying to, um, yeah, to, to, to accelerate the, 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 the diagnostic process. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and, um, and do you have any discoveries lately in this field or, or the well, field itself also yeah. without you? Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, so <laughs> maybe I can actually talk a little bit about about some of our own work. So um, many of the of the of the Alzheimer's disease phenotypes, so for example the, the facial spatial or, or the language variants, they have diagnostic criteria and, and that really improves the, the diagnostic process. So clinicians are really better able to, to diagnose this uh, this category, uh, but that wasn't actually available for for the behavioral variant of, of Alzheimer's disease um, uh, until until very recently. And actually, last year we we, we published the first uh, research criteria for this for this variant. So there are now actually very concrete criteria that researchers and clinicians can use to 
to, to diagnose the, this, this variant. Um, and I think uh, an accurate diagnosis of these atypical forms of Alzheimer's disease is especially important uh, with, with many um, uh, potential disease-modifying drugs uh, uh, at the horizon, where it's, it's crucial, right, if you're targeting uh, amyloid or tau, uh, that those pathologies are actually also present in, in, uh, in the brain. So we're target, yeah. targeting the right population. Exactly. Yeah, so that's very helpful uh, to the field. And how did uh, PIA help your research? Yeah, so uh, I think the, the, the PIA really provides a very strong network in, in, in general. And maybe I can, I can give two examples of that. So there's one uh, initiative that is led by uh, Mariana Schaplo and Gil, Gil Rabinovich from the University of California in San Francisco. And what, what they are doing uh, is that they're performing a meta-analysis for uh, posterior cortical atrophy. And that is the, the visual variant of, of Alzheimer's disease. Um, and what they're doing is they're collecting data from uh, many sites uh, uh, across the entire world. Um, for example, they're looking at all sorts of clinical variables, but they also look at amyloid and tau status. They, they look at genetic information. And by pooling those data, because it, it, it's, it's a relatively rare variant, and only by pooling data, you, you can establish you know, the, the contributions of, of all sorts of neurobiological factors. You can say more meaningful things about the, the, the clinical presentation. And one thing that actually the PIA facilitated is that apart from all the published work, because in, in the literature you can see which groups are actually working on, on posterior cortical atrophy, mm -hmm. uh, through the PIA we uh, were actually able to reach out to many groups that have not published on this phenotype, but actually do see them in, in, in their clinics. And they were also part of this, of this big meta-analysis now. Uh, so the total sample size has, has increased massively through the, uh, through the PIA. So I think that is one, one really nice example. Um, yeah, perhaps I can I can also mention another one that was an initiative started uh, a few years ago. Uh, it's actually also about the visual presentation of, of Alzheimer's disease. And you, you can imagine that the, the traditional neuropsychological tests don't work for this population because visual information is not processed as well as, as people that, that don't have this, this particular phenotype. So you need a lot of, uh, of non-visual uh, uh, cognitive tests. And they vary a lot across across centers, and uh, perhaps um, the the interpretation differs also a lot across centers. So the the, the idea here was to write a white paper uh, to discuss what are the best uh, cognitive tests for a particular domain, and and try to harmonize it across centers uh, all around the world. So when we uh, talk about a particular domain, or or impairments in this case, uh, we are talking about the same thing. So the results become more meaningful, the the diagnosis be, becomes better, uh, and the there's more uniform uh, uh, data collection for this uh, for this group. And when you talk about uh, visual spatial impairments or visual processing, can you give an example? Because I am uh, not familiar with the construct so much. Yeah. But what kind of uh, yeah problems do the patients encounter? Exactly. So it, it's a very wide array of of, of symptoms. So in, in in general, when people think about Alzheimer's disease, they think about memory problems, right? So trouble uh, retrieving very recent events, for example. Uh, not, not recognizing faces or, or names. Um, well, actually, if you are sitting in, in front of an individual with posterior cortical atrophy or the visual variant of Alzheimer's disease, you will notice that actually the, the memory is, is often quite intact. So you, you can have conversations about, you know, yesterday's news, for example, or, or a football game you, you've, you've both watched. Um, but they, they, they suffer from very different problems. And uh, just an example is they can have trouble, for example, distinguishing uh, left from right. Um, they have 
they have, they have difficulties recognizing uh, 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 particular phases or, or, or objects. Um, they have trouble uh, putting their, their clothes on. They have uh, trouble navigating through through space. Uh, sometimes there are difficulties in, in color perception or motion perception. So everything related to, to vision or actually the, the processing of vision information, uh, some of these elements get, uh, get impaired. <clears throat> yeah, so it can be anything. Uh, yeah, or it's a, a very wide variety of symptoms then. Yeah, yeah. there there is yeah. there, a wide variety. Uh, there is actually, uh, in, in the diagnostic criteria, there is quite an extensive list. And if you meet three of, of them, uh, you, 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 would, you would actually uh, be classified as posterior cortical atrophy. Uh, but only when it is an early and, and, and prominent symptom. So uh, often during the course of Alzheimer's disease, people also develop uh, visual-spatial problems, but it needs to be very early on, and it also needs to be the most prominent symptom. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, and for, in order for the clinical diagnosis of the visual variants of Alzheimer's exactly. disease. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, and now a little bit more about the PIA again. Um, can you tell a little bit more about the committee and how your group is organized? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So we are a group consisting of uh, mostly researchers uh, around the world, actually. So our current chair is, uh, is Jennifer Whitwell. Uh, I'm, I'm the vice chair myself. Uh, we have Keir Young, uh, who is the program's chair. Baila Bone, uh, who you also know because she, she worked in, in Amsterdam as well, uh, is, is the, the communications chair. Uh, we have a junior uh, trainee uh, called Rosalina Mohenti, and the, the immediate past chair is, is Femke Bouwman. So she, she was the chair last year and is still involved, also from, from, from Amsterdam, as, uh, as you know. Um, yeah, we, we are organized in a way that we meet on a, on a regular basis, uh, normally every four, four to six weeks. Um, yeah, and, w- and we discuss everything that's related to uh, atypicality in, in, in Alzheimer's disease. Oh yeah, and do you also have uh, working groups? Yeah, we, we, we have working groups. So the the the, um, the project about the, the cognitive testing in the visual variant of Alzheimer's disease is, is an example of that. So that was really yeah. based on uh, on on a working group, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, very interesting. And how can early career researchers who are now listening uh, become involved? Yeah, first of all, they are more than welcome. We we open them, we welcome them with with open arms. Um, so there there are a, a couple of things to 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 consider. So early uh, career researchers that have, for example, specific ideas or questions or are looking for uh, collaborations, uh, they can send an email to our communications chair. That is Baila Bone. Um, you can find our email address on on our on our website, and maybe we could even include the the, the email address in the um, uh, in the show notes of, of this podcast. Uh, or people who know my email address can also email me, of course. Uh, and then we can include it, for example, in, in our newsletter that, that we send out, or we can put it on our webpage. We have a Twitter account, so we can share um, everything related to that. So that is one way to to spread ideas. Uh, another idea is we're, we're all, always looking for people that are interested in participating, for example, in journal clubs or, or webinars. So if people have ideas, uh, please please contact us. And maybe the, the most direct way to become involved is actually to become a part of the, the executive committee. Um, the, the new uh, position will, will come available very soon. So we always have one junior trainee in our uh, committee. Um, so people that are interested, I, I uh, uh, encourage to apply for that position. Okay, that's a nice call. 
And what kind of uh, other activities uh, do you have planned for the upcoming year? Or will the early career researchers have opportunities to meet you at AIC? Are there any sessions uh, planned, for example? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so two things. So uh, about the aims of of, uh, of our PR first. So like the, the the past couple of years, we organized many many journal clubs and and, and webinars. Um, uh, for example, last year we we had one on on the behavioral uh, variant of of Alzheimer's disease. And we had another one on, on on language presentations of Alzheimer's disease, where there's still a lot of debate. Um, uh, you know uh, about the specifics. We had three experts uh, debating each other. That was that was actually uh, really nice. Um, the other one is um, what what we what we further aim to do is so far uh, in our committee we have mainly people working in uh, in either um, sort of the neuropsychological or biomarker aspects of uh, of, of Alzheimer's disease as well as as neuropathology, but we would actually welcome more people that work in in health or, or social care because um, we think our PR is very, is very relevant for that as well. You can imagine if you care for individuals with Alzheimer's disease, it matters a lot what kind of symptoms they have, what needs they have. So we would really like to welcome people that are engaged in, in, in that particular field. Um, and finally, and th this is not um, uh, definite yet, but we have reached out actually to an, to an ed editor because we uh, plan to write a textbook uh, based on, on atypical Alzheimer's disease where we describe in detail the clinical presentation, everything we know about the neurobiology, uh, about care system in, in place, future directions. Um, so that's probably not going to be achieved within the next year, but that is, is on our um, agenda for uh, for the near future. Yeah, so you really plan to uh, to define atypical AD. Do you think in, in the long term, uh, just on the contents still, uh, will it stay like a subtype of AD or do you think that it may even become a separate disease entity? Yeah, this is actually a great question. So we, we, we quickly touched upon the, the, the hot topics in the field. And I, I think we, we only had the opportunity to, to, to discuss one, but this is definitely definitely another one. Uh, and I think you can you can approach this from, from two sides. So one is, um, should we actually treat them separately or should we consider it as, as, as an entire continuum? So you have Alzheimer's disease and, and it, it goes in different directions. And what we now call atypical are just the extremes of, uh, of, of, of a continuum. Th that is a possibility. Uh, and which I think is, is the most likely uh, possibility. Uh, reason is uh, they, they, they share the same, uh, the same neurobiology. So they have amyloid plaques, they, they, they have tau tangles. Um, the only thing is they have them, uh, especially the tau tangles in different parts of the brain. Um, and the parts of the brain and the networks, the tangles deposit, uh, that has a major influence in, 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 the, in the clinical manifestation. So I think it's the same disease, but there's just a, a, a different manifestation. Yeah. Yeah, and it might because it's the same biology. Probably they need the same treatments uh, if you want to target the biology. But yeah, if it, it the tangles are in different location, it's a different biology. You could argue. Yeah, so, yeah. right. But I guess if you if you are thinking about anti-tau or, or anti-amyloid treatments, uh, I think that would pro could apply to, to to any phenotype of of Alzheimer's disease. But I think it's yeah. quite likely that. You know the mechanisms, uh, you know that that make the, the, those proteins misfold, for example, that that they could actually differ between between subtypes, and maybe you know there's a different degree of of, of the neuroinflammatory response, or there are specific cell types involved. So that there are many mechanisms that that can potentially differ. Uh, but uh, so I agree with you that there are neurobiological differences, um, 
uh, they have in common the, the presence of, of, of amyloid and tau pathology, but other neurobiological aspects are, are likely to be different. Yeah, so it sounds like a very exciting field because there is still a lot to be discovered. And nowadays we have the tools also for discovery, so it's a nice area to work in, I think. Uh, okay, uh, thank you. It's time to end uh, today's podcast recording. But before we go, I do have a final question. So what advice would you give to any aspiring dementia researchers out there who are thinking of looking into dementia? Yeah, that's a really nice question. So first of all, I think um, anyone that's considering it is entering a very uh, dynamic field at the moment, right? So you, you are you are uh, like like one of the leaders in, in the biomarker field uh, where a lot has happened uh, last year, for example, the advent of, of, of blood-based biomarkers. Uh, you know, we have for, for the first time a disease-modifying uh, treatment being approved by the FDA, although somewhat controversial whether it has a cognitive benefit, but there are many uh, promising um, uh, events happening and, and, and at the horizon. So I think it, it's actually a very good time to, to enter the field because many things are, are changing. We're, we're making good progress in understanding the disease. Good news is that there is still a lot of work to do, as you said. So we, we definitely need to, to understand the disease better. My advice to, um, to early career researchers is really to, to follow your uh, curiosity. That has always driven me. Um, you know, if, you, if you're working on a problem uh, that generally interests you, um, yeah, you, 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 will, you, will, you will work on it automatically. Uh, you, uh, the, the motivation is, is intrinsic. Uh, you, you, you will be, uh, be fascinated by, by studying it and, and learning more about it. Um, so follow, follow your, your interest and uh, um, the rest will, will follow soon. Yeah, so that's a fantastic advice. So thank you uh, to Rick for taking time to join us today and also for the listeners. Thank you for listening. You'll find profiles on today's panellists and information on how to become involved in iStart on our website at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk and also at als.org forward slash iStart. We'll be back tomorrow with the next recording in our iStart PIA Relay podcast series. Finally, please remember to like, subscribe and leave a review of this podcast through your website, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and in all the other places you find your podcasts. Thank you.